Today's call to worship can be found in Psalms 139, verses 1 through 18, on page 576 from your Pew Bible. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes right around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is a light to you. For you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearful and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where I count that, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Where, when I awake, I am still with you. Today's Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 10, which is chapter, er, page 170 in the Pew Bibles. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord let, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these forty years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering to him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, and a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, and a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks and iron you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God, for the good land he has given you.
Our New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 1, 15-23, page 1079 in your Bible. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hopes to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparability great power. For us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand on the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There is a spiritual nugget in each of the hymns, I mean uh, texts that have been read today, and I want to mine that briefly with you. Hey, if you were here last week, such an abundance of things going on, such wonderful blessings with the baptisms this week with a child dedication, a baby dedication, so many other things to celebrate. My heart is extremely full, and I know yours is too, and if uh, you're still um, uh, suffering a tryptophan hangover, um, we, uh, we understand and want to make this a, uh, a straightforward and, and, and and meaningful time for you. So my words this morning are going to be few, but I want to reflect on a couple of things. First of all, it's very difficult to be thankful if we can't remember. Isn't that kind of a given, that memory and thanksgiving go together? So one of the things that is poignant about this season as we enter Thanksgiving Day, per se, as we look forward to the holiday, as we do our tradition, we had too many people this year to do our tradition. I wish I would have asked people to do it at their individual tables. But the idea of going around the circle and saying, I'm very thankful for, and and trying not to, if possible, trivialize that, but to really dig for something that says, this has brought special meaning or Uh, special goodness to my life in this past year. So memory is a key component of thanksgiving. And one of the things that God asks his people to do is remember. He asks us to remember. He simply tells us, even in a commandment, to remember the Sabbath day, for example. He wants us to remember because there's no way we can participate with thanksgiving. There's no way that the fullness of the blessing of God can be ours without that, without memory, and without bringing memory in. So it's a useful exercise. There are a number of useful exercises. I don't have time to get into them all this morning. One might be journaling, just a simple few words every day about where you see the hand of God. Fantastic exercise in thanksgiving. Coming to appreciate the way in which the Spirit of God moves and the hand of God moves in your life. Truly amazing. I'm remembering today that just over eight years ago, I said goodbye to a congregation in Hollywood. 
and that today completes my eighth year as your pastor in this church. Thank you. I'm remembering the people who have come and gone. I'm remembering the ministries that we've shared. I'm remembering the growth that's been ours in this time and giving thanks to God for that. I'm remembering the infants and children we've presented to the Lord up on this chancel, up in this this holy place. I'm remembering the music that's been sung I'm remembering the special programs that we've shared, the teaching moments that have been poignant uh, for so many of you in various classes. I'm remembering the laughter and hilarity of some of our social events. I'm remembering the way God has led us corporately and brought us to this place, each of you with your own story, each of us collectively a family with memories, each our own, in the context of this church. I'm remembering our covenants one to the other and the ways in which we look for God to lead in the future going forward as we remember together what he's accomplished in our midst and the way he's led. You see, it's easy to be thankful for this church. It's easy to be thankful for this congregation when we remember when we remember the way God has led us and the way he promises to lead and the way he is with us and the way he'll continue to be with us. These things are great blessings. Well, I'm going to work backward, so let's start with the text we just read. And I'm going to pull up for you from each of these texts something significant that I hope doesn't overwhelm you this day with all that's been going on and your tryptophan hangovers. But I I do hope will. That's an a chemical in Turkey that makes you sleepy, by the way, just in case uh, some of you were not up. What we're going to do is um, work backward through the texts that have just been read. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Now, I didn't even notice, oddly enough, the title of this section before today, Thanksgiving and Prayer, but it certainly fits. In verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom, his spirit, and revelation so that you may know him better. Isn't that a key part of what we're looking at here when we celebrate family, is being known and knowing that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This notion of the completion, the fullness of God as Christ has conquered evil, has done his work, has brought all who would believe to the Father and placed them under the Father's feet, that the world itself 
is now again God's territory. That Christ is now again prince of this world. There's this spiritual victory that's been won, but it takes place in the life of believers and in a body. And what Paul's prayer, the essence, the heart of it is, is that I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened. Isn't that strange? Don't use this word, but it sounds a little mystical even. I think we need to go there if you want to know the meaning of this word because last I checked anatomically, hearts don't have eyes. A heart is a muscle, a very persistent and strong one, and a very essential one. And I don't want to be a physiological reductionist here, but I do want us to think a little bit about what we're speaking of. You see, when this phrase comes up, when we speak of opening the eyes of our heart, we're speaking of a spiritual vision. The heart in Scripture being the place of feeling, knowing, intuiting. There's many things. So when we talk about opening the eyes of our heart, we're talking about a spiritual vision that's brought to us by the Spirit of God. And as we remember what it is God shows us and teaches us in that moment of vulnerability to him, we share in that individually and then corporately in his spirit as well. And this is what Paul is praying for and what he is thankful for that together the body of Christ may come to an understanding, a fullness in the knowledge of God, and that it's obvious he doesn't pray for the opposite. He knows that God knows us fully, already, completely, that nothing is hidden from God, that he knows us intimately and completely, but he prays that we might know the living God intimately and more fully. And that through his spirit we might receive the revelation and the power of the risen Christ. The resurrection power is referred to here. Well, that's about all the time I have for that passage this morning. But I do hope you get a sense of where we're headed in this Thanksgiving peace. And in this remembering peace. And in the spiritual peace that we might know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Powerful peace. Deuteronomy 8. You know, these bulletins are archived online, and most of my sermons are either online in just tape audio form or like today it's being videotaped so you'll be able to see it. Sometimes they're Ustreamed the week after. So if there's something that you want to come back to and revisit, there's lots of ways to do that. And these passages are certainly worth revisiting. The heading in chapter 8 says, Do not forget the Lord. There's that opposite of remembering, an admonition against forgetting God meaning that we should remember. I'm going to start in, not with the promise in verse 1, but with the admonition in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Have you heard that before? Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience and revering him, for the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing, and where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. Everything you need. It sort of reminds me of the cornucopia, yes? The abundance of the harvest flowing out of it. The sense of the blessing of God. And this is both real time We're talking about an actual land flowing with milk and honey, we're told. We're talking about the promised land that was to be Israel's, but we're also talking about a promised land to come, are we not? We're talking about something that has an eschatological fulfillment. That is to say, in the last days, we look forward to a land in which no one will hunger, no one will thirst, no one will be without. What does that mean? That's the end of suffering, isn't it? It's the end of crying. It's the end of pain. And part of all of this is predicated on that simple admonition. Remember. Remember. I like how it says, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. You see, when the eyes of our heart have been opened, when we discern things spiritually, when we see ourselves for who we are and who God for who he is, when we come to terms with what it means to be listening and spiritually engaged, our love is manifested in many ways, but primarily, the scripture says, in obedience. He's written who he is in the fleshy tables of our hearts. No longer is it on stone that we might be his, not just in name, but in deed and thought. Our task is to not forget the way God has led us as individuals, as families, as couples, as people, as a church. God has been with us. God is leading. God's spirit is enlivening. The eyes of our hearts can be opened. Psalm 139 was our call. I've alluded to that already in the dedication. I chose this today in part because we had an infant dedication, but I have a few things I would pull out of this for you as well. You have searched me, Lord, and know me. Remember I just said a minute ago, How Deuteronomy, Ephesians, is concerned with us knowing the Lord and responding to him. We know from the psalm that we are already thoroughly known. When I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Now, 
that talks about the way in which we are creaturely and known to God by what we do, our habits and thoughts. But there's something really great here in verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. We wouldn't catch it from the English, but in the Hebrew, this is a cosmological reference. It refers to the east and the west, and the covering of his hand is like the firmament that's placed above us. It's an ancient Near Eastern model that mimics the creation model, that speaks of the glory of God and the way in which the earth is our home in this cosmos. Now, this is all pre-scientific, so you have a sort of canopy over the earth that looks like a flat space with a canopy over it. And so when the, when the psalmist writes, you hem me in from the east and west, and your hand is over me, there's like a canopy, a space over the ground in which we live and move and walk and live. David is making a reference not to the vastness of the universe, but to the intimacy of it. That even in the vastness of the cosmos, we belong in the hand of God that in this great and mighty manifestation of his creative power, we sit enfolded, protected, known, loved. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, and surely we would agree with that refrain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The word is ruach. Where can I go? from this encompassing, pervasive presence. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Dawn in the east, sea in the west, you get the picture. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will be not dark to you, for the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Of course, what we know now is that darkness isn't something, it's the absence of something. So light is filling a void. And God needs no light, for he is his own light. And here comes this move now from the cosmological back to the intimate, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You see, there's no distinction now being made between the creation of the human in the womb And the cosmological reference of the earth is our home. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, for your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Now, every translation I read said thoughts. But I have to nuance that a little and say it's not just a generic thought. It's the thought that is a creative thought, a thought that might precede a word, for example, a word by which things come to be. Because when God speaks, things happen according to the word. 
And so how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. What David didn't know or the psalmist didn't know is that your thoughts outnumber the grains of sand. We have literally dozens of thoughts sometimes per second. Um, Lots of things going on as we process in our brains. And a lifetime of those. Well, okay, so they don't outnumber the sands of the sea. But in his beautiful poetry, the psalmist is helping us catch a vision of the glory of God, the greatness of God, the creativity of God. You see, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, it was a place where something new was generated. For when he was spit out, he was new and renewed in his mission. Christ referred to Jonah being in the belly of the whale when he prophesied about being in the earth, in the tomb. He said, as it was with Jonah. Did I say Noah? Good. Okay, that's great. Sometimes I interpolate things, and I, uh, we, we have a good time talking about that afterwards. Uh. But Jonah, as it was with Jonah, three days, three nights in the belly of the fish, so it will be with the Son of Man. And three days, three nights, so to speak. He's in the earth, that cosmological reference. And from now, from that earth, he is resurrected. And his spirit would resurrect us as we open the eyes of our heart. So, it's deep, but I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to invite you to remember. I'm going to invite you to remember the way God has led you and protected you and loved you and known you and surrounded you. I'm going to invite you to remember that you might be filled with wonder and awe and praise. I'm going to invite you to pray that God will open the eyes of your heart, that you might sense the workings of his spirit in you and in others and around you, and that you may join in the work of the living God. I'm going to invite you to be responsive, keeping to that which he's asked us to do, keeping to the fellowship of one another in faith, and moving forward as a thankful as a grateful people, his church. Thanks to God for all that he has done and all that he is. May he bless us as we leave this place with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. Amen.